interesting to you. This is our 32nd week in the Gospel of John. And uh, today we're in chapter 15, if you want to turn there, chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 12. We've called uh, this third section of John, the third and final section, Exalting Christ, the Lamb of God. And today's message is entitled, Qualities of a True Friend. Now, in 1908, Irish explorer Ernest Shackleton headed an an Antarctic expedition attempting to reach the South Pole. Now, they came closer than ever before, but 97 miles short of the pole, they had to turn back. Well, in his diary, Shackleton told of a time where their food supplies had run very, very low. They were nearly exhausted, save for one last ration of hardtack. Hardtack is a kind of a dried sort of a biscuit, and it was distributed to each man. And so some of the men took snow and melted it, and they made tea while consuming their very last biscuit. Others, however, saved their hardtack in their food sacks, hoping to, to use it for a last moment of, of hungry desperation. And so the fire was built up, and the men were weary, they were exhausted, they climbed into their sleeping bags to, to face a, a restless sleep, uh, lack of sleep, tossing, turning, just a difficult night. And so Shackleton said that he was almost asleep when out of the corner of his eye, he noticed that one of his most trusted men was stirring in his sleeping bag, sitting up, looking about to see if anyone was watching. Well, Shackleton's heart sank within him as this man began to reach towards the food sack of the man next to him. Shackleton watched as the man opened the food sack and then took his own hardtack and put it into the other man's sack. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. As we enter into this section of scripture today, I want you to see it as a commentary on Jesus' statement that we looked at last week. He had just told his disciples in the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 15 that he was the true vine. The themes of remaining in the vine are reiterated as well as the command to bear fruit that we talked about. The testimony of the skill of the vine dresser who is God is to be demonstrated by the abundance and the beauty of the fruit. We learned last week that fruit becomes the means of attracting those who are without to consider the Christian faith. Christian fruit can only be born by the Christian who is connected to the vine, who is Jesus. Well, in today's text, Jesus elaborates on what it looks like to keep his commandments and abide in his love and bear fruit. And he does so by issuing a new commandment. And that command is to love one another. The disciples are to put aside their differences and instead unite in love. You might remember that earlier on that Thursday evening that we're still looking at in the last week of Jesus' life. Earlier in that evening that a squabble had broken out amongst the disciples right there at the dinner table over who was the greatest. To which Jesus tells them, 
that they are to be servants and not lorded over others like the Gentiles do. And then Jesus creates a living illustration by washing the disciples' feet as an example of how service is to be rendered. Who is the greatest washed the feet of the least, then we are to follow in his example. And as easy as that sounds, we understand that it's not that easy, is it? It's much easier said than done. It might even be harder to do than outwardly keeping the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus goes on to explain what true love is. Now normally we would uh, read this passage together, but since the screen is not working, we're in John 15, beginning in verse 12, and I'd like to read that for you. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, our Lord calls us his friends. And he gives us what we might call four tests or qualities of true friendship. Two signs are on his side. <coughs> Excuse me. Two, uh, two signs are on his side and two signs of the friendship are on our side. And so we could say that this passage is perfectly balanced, kind of like a poem that summarizes the whole Thursday night teaching that he has for his disciples. So I want to consider together the qualities of a true friend. And let's look at the very first quality. The first sign of friendship is what I do for you. What I do for you. That's the first of the two proofs of the friendship that comes from Jesus. In verse 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is the first proof of friendship. Jesus says this on Thursday night when the disciples can't really understand what he's talking about because they're still feeling the victory of Palm Sunday when the great crowds came out to see Jesus. They don't know that a conspiracy is brewing. They don't know that within hours Jesus will be arrested. They will have to wait until later to understand what Jesus means. But at this point, he still makes a promise to them. He says, I am your friend. I'm your friend. Even though he knows they're going to betray him. They're going to scatter. They're going to leave him behind. Here is an ancient proof. The proof is what I do for you. 
what I do for you. Now, sometimes we put that kind of crudely, but you know, it's an ancient proof that we, we use all the time. We test a friendship, don't we, by what a friend does for us. That's how we know a real friend. Let me just give you an example here. Suppose you're driving your car on a really rainy night or a, a terrible night, and suppose that you're on a dark and deserted road and your car breaks down and it's pouring rain and you don't have an institutional friend like AAA, so what do you do? It's one o'clock in the morning and you're trying to think, who in the world is going to come out with their car and rescue me? Notice how quickly then that your brain will compute your friendships, right? By that ancient standard, you go right through the club rosters that you belong to, your work associates, your neighbors, maybe the Gardenway Church roster, and you think of all the acquaintances you know, and if you're fortunate, there are a few folks that you might have on your list who would come rescue you in the middle of the night. And so you pick one and you call them. And when you get on the phone, what do they say? You say, my, my car's broken down. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Would you mind coming out? And their answer, of course, is, hey, no problem. I will be glad. I'll be there as soon as possible. That's a real friend, isn't it? That's a real friend. You see, your brain calculates your friendships on the basis of the same ancient standard that Jesus gives. You know a friend by what he or she does for you. So in our text here, I want you to notice how Jesus makes himself an event and he makes his proof of friendship an event that happens. Like someone actually showing up at one o'clock in the morning. In Jesus' case, he's saying, I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's my proof of friendship. What I do for you, that is true friendship, not some sappy saying on a Hallmark card. Jesus says, that's true friendship, and that's how you know that I'm your friend. And so I ask you the question this morning, do you know that about Jesus? Do you know that he laid down his life for you? You see, that's his proof of friendship. The first sign of friendship, what I do for you. Now let's look at the second proof or quality of true friendship. And the second proof or quality is this. I confide in you. I confide in you. The second proof is an expansion of the first proof. But it's, it's not put in some heroic terms like the first one is. It's, the first one's all about sacrifice in it. The second one, though, is uh, a little bit different. Jesus says uh, in verse 13, I'm your friend and I prove it by laying down my life for you. And in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. And so a friend is someone who takes you into their confidence, who talks things over with you. That's another ancient proof of friendship. And we calculate our friendships that way also, don't we? Let me give you another kind of crazy example. Suppose that you're a, a student at the university here in, or in, in, in Eugene, University of Oregon. And it's the weekend and you know there's a, you know, a midterm coming up on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. But you decide you're just going to fritter away the whole weekend. 
And so you go to the football game. After all, it's the last game that the Ducks are going to win in the Pac-12. And you hang out with your friends all weekend. And then before you know it, it's Monday morning. And you're, you're counting on that last minute travel time on the bus to try and do some last minute studying, cramming for the midterm. Otherwise, man, you could flunk this class and who knows if you'll be able to come back. And, and so now let's make the illustration just a, a little more complicated. You're standing on the bus platform, ready to get on the bus to go to school and you see an acquaintance. But that person, they don't see you. Now here's the moment of truth. Here's the moment of truth. Your brain works quickly, right? With lightning speed, calculating that friendship. You see that person and you think, well, if we ride together, he's going to talk all about his weekend and he'll tell me all about his problems. That'll probably take the whole trip to school and I'll flunk the exam. And so what do you do? You calculate the friendship. He's a nice guy, but I can't talk to him today. And so you duck behind a column. And you watch out of the corner of your eye to see what bus he gets on and you decide to catch the next bus. You don't want to snub him because that would be mean, but you just don't want to see him. You get on the bus and you study all the way to campus. All right, here's another little twist. Let's make it romantic. How about that? Suppose you stand at that same bus platform and suddenly there's the, the boy or the girl that you've been trying to get a chance with all semester long. And suddenly you see him or her and you say to yourself, oh man, this could be it. And then you think quickly, oh, I can take that exam anytime. If I flunk it, I can take it next year. I mean, this could be for the rest of my life. And so you get on the bus and you sit next to that person and you talk all the way to campus. You calculated your priorities with lightning speed, didn't you? Now let's change the plot one last time. Suppose you're there waiting for your bus, cramming, and you see a really good friend. Now you could say to that friend, because they're a good friend, you could say to them, don't talk to me this morning. On the whole way, you can sit next to me and you can pray for me, but don't say one word because I have a midterm and I've blown off all my studies all weekend and I've got to just cram this in in the last moments. Now that's a true friend, isn't it? You took him or her into your confidence. You shared your weakness and your stupidity. And you were able to ask them to, to share in it with you. Friends, I want you to see this. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you're my friends. And the proof is, I take you into my confidence. I chose you. I saw you on the platform. I wanted to ride with you. You see, that's the ancient proof of friendship. Our Lord gives that proof to us. Have you ever considered that God wants you here because he wants to do something with you? He chose you to be with him on this bus, if you will. And he wants to know what you think. See, Jesus says, you're not servants. A servant doesn't even know what the master is doing. But I have told you everything my father is doing. Jesus has told us the whole story, right? That's the gospel message. His whole plan is written down here. He shared it with us. He's invested in it. He's confided in it with us. 
He's taken us into his confidence. We are his friends. And there is proof of that friendship. These are the qualities of true friendship. First, what Jesus has done for us. And secondly, what Jesus has confided in us. Connecting us to the Father through the Word. Now, let's move to the third proof of friendship. The third proof of friendship is to love as Jesus loved. So these next two proofs of friendship are on our side. Now this first one might throw us a little bit for a loop as we think about it because when you first read it, it it really doesn't sound like friendship. In verse 12 and 13, this is my commandment. Do friends command one another? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's a little hard to swallow. We might even be a little disappointed. You're my friends if you sacrifice, if you die, if you give in and give up all the time, then you can be my friend. It almost sounds if, as if he, he meant that. And matter of fact, I've heard messages on this passage where it is taught as an obedience passage with Jesus saying something like, uh, in order to be my friend, you have to obey my commandments. You have to follow all the rules. You have to be careful not to step out of line. But you see, friends, that's the old covenant, the old way. It's, it's legalism and it's impossible. So does that mean there's no way to be the friend of Jesus? If we can't keep all the rules exactly all the time? But you see, when we look closely at this text, we realize that really this is not a passage about obedience at all. Jesus is not teaching obedience here. He's teaching friendship. And he has only one command. Now, don't misunderstand me here. The Lord does want us to obey his commandments. Don't go home and say, Rob said we don't have to follow any of the commandments. That's not what I'm saying. But here, he's not talking about obedience. He is making that the test. He's not making that the test of friendship. Look closely at the context. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. What is the one command in mind in this passage? That we love one another, one another, as he has loved us. So the love that he shows us, we share with one another. And in case we misunderstand that, he repeats it a second time down at the end of the passage in verse 15. Just in case, in case we miss it, Jesus says, did you miss my commandment? The commandment I have in mind is that you love one another. That's how you prove your friendship. And so this is a friendship passage with the one command in view. When you love, Jesus says, as I have loved you, then you are my friend. Let me, let me illustrate this with another kind of weird illustration. I've got some weird ones today, don't I? When I was a kid, my family visited the Hearst Castle. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. The Hearst Castle, it's on the central coast of California. But this castle was brought all the way from Germany, stone by stone. 
shipped across the ocean and reassembled on the central California coast by this rich guy, Hearst, a publisher. And now, as a little kid, I don't know, I was maybe six, it was the first time that I'd ever seen a real castle. And it was pretty incredible. So I want you to just imagine something with me, okay? You are in this castle. Suppose you're being given a, a tour of this grand estate by a tour guy. And you see the manicured lawns and the two swimming pools and the beautiful imported marble from Italy. And, and you go through the massive front doors and your eyes bulge as you see this dining room table that seats 50 people and there's imported tapestries from all over the world hanging on the walls. It's just mind-boggling. And you walk into the grand hallway and there's a stairway going into the upper rooms. But in the middle of this beautiful hallway is just one table. And you see on it this beautiful vase, an alabaster vase, imported all the way from Egypt. Now, you might say to the guide, I have never seen such a beautiful vase in all my life. And the guide in reply says to you, oh, do you like that vase? You can have it take it. It's yours. It's okay. I'm a good friend of the owner and he would want me to give it to you. Now, I have to stop the illustration here for a moment to rule out two extreme possibilities, all right? Or my parable will be ruined. The first one is this guy is not some delusional crazy guy giving away expensive gifts to random people, all right? So let's get that out of our mind. And then secondly, He's not some thief that's trying to rope you into some secret plot as an unsuspecting tourist. So we got that out of our mind, right? <clears throat> so if we can rule out those possibilities, what has the guide just proved to us when he gives us that vase? He's proved that he is indeed a very good friend of the owner. And here's what I want you to see, folks. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, I tell you, I will tell you how to prove you're my friend. He's saying, give away. Give away the best treasure in the house. My love. Give away my love. This is Christianity 101. We love others because he first loved us. Beloved, love one another. How do you prove that love? How do you prove that you're forgiven? You love others. You forgive others. You know, when I meet someone who is unable to love others or to forgive or is very selfish or, or grasping, I, I know that that person hasn't fully experienced God's love because they're not giving away the treasure. They need to really experience God's love and forgiveness. And so this morning I ask you this, is that maybe where you're at today? Is it hard for you to forgive? Hard to extend God's love to others? Then we must experience that love and forgiveness ourselves. Experience the friendship of Jesus Christ and you will be able to give away his treasures. Now here's something very important to know. You are not Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. You are not Jesus. You're not the Savior 
You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. We can't save our kids or our grandkids or our family members or our neighbors. As much as we want to, we just can't. We are not Jesus. This church is not Jesus. We can't save anyone. It's not our role and it's not our job. So the question remains then, what are we? Here's what we are. We are very good friends of Jesus Christ. And really that's much better. We are good friends of Jesus Christ and therefore we give away the treasure because Jesus Christ is your friend and he has all authority. He's the king, you're his friend. He encourages you to give away the treasure. So love as he loved. That moves us then to the fourth proof of friendship. And the second proof, again, comes from our, our point of view, this final proof. And it is prayer. Prayer. In the second half of verse 16, Jesus says, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now, here's what I want you to see. That's the flip side of when Jesus said, I take you into my confidence. I take you into my confidence. So he says, if you want to be my friend, take me into your confidence. And how do we take Jesus into our confidence? We pray. The invitation to prayer is the final proof of our friendship with Jesus. Have you ever thought of, of, of your prayers as proof of your friendship with the Lord? Pray. Ask favors. Use my name with the Father, Jesus says. That's really what the text says here. You can ask the Father using my name. That's something a friend can do. Have you ever had a friend that just said, hey, I, here's a great deal you can get. Go talk to that guy. Let him know I told you or I sent you. And sure enough, you go and say, hey, my friend Rob sent me over here. Oh, great. Here's a discount. You're using their name. Using their name. I read uh, about an article uh, in the New York Times some back, time back that said about 80% of teenagers get their first job through a friend of their father. Uh, I thought that's interesting. And then I thought about this. We have this terrible national tragedy today in America of many, many kids growing up without fathers. I thought, wow, think about that. They don't have a connection to that next important step in life. But you know what? That's what Jesus does for us. He plays that role for us. I'm your friend. You can pray in my name to the Father. Use my name, Jesus says. I'm the one who's going to give my life for you. You can use my name because you're my friend. So again, I ask you, are you the friend of Jesus? Do you know his love for you? If you have few earthly friends, here's what I want to say. It's okay. Because if you know Jesus, you've got the one friend. The one friend who's worth more than all the rest. Now, if we take this little portion of verse 16 out of context, as some folks do, it certainly sounds like Jesus is kind of just offering us access to the candy machine with no strings attached, right? Ask the Father and he'll give you whatever you ask. All right. 
I just press those buttons into my heavenly vending machine and out pops, pops whatever I want. Free stuff. How awesome. But I want you to notice that there are some qualifications attached. In verse 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now we talked about this last week at length. Are you remaining abiding? Are you connected to living in Jesus Christ? If you are, then this promise is for you, his dear friend. And of course, if we are connected and abiding and remaining in Jesus, then our prayers and our requests will always be in line with his will according to his example. So, friends, pray, because prayer is proof of friendship with Jesus. You know, as with so many of the great hymns of our faith, there is an inspirational backstory to one of the great hymns of faith entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. This great song was written in 1855. The author was a man by the name of uh, Joseph Scriven, an Irishman, who found God's deep, faithful friendship in the midst of very intense emotional pain. After graduating from the University of Dublin, Scriven became engaged to be married. But on the eve of their wedding, his bride-to-be was thrown from her horse while crossing a bridge. Scriven, who was waiting for her on the other side of the river, could only watch helplessly as she drowned in the river. Now, it would be hard to imagine a more heartbreaking experience. And yet, it was through this traumatic loss that Joseph Scriven found God's mercy and salvation. Scriven, soon after, left Ireland and traveled to Canada where he became a teacher. Ten years passed, and he fell in love again and was engaged to be married to another young woman. But once more, tragedy struck. His fiancée caught a, a chill while swimming, and it developed into tuberculosis, and she died after a lingering illness. They never were married. Well, late one night, suffering from profound grief and loneliness, Scriven begged God for comfort. He prayed to God, promising to serve him faithfully if the Lord would heal his heart. Well, God answered that prayer. And Scriven felt his burden miraculously lifted. He then sat down and he wrote the first two stanzas of a poem that evening that expressed his great joy. He later then sent those verses back to his mother in Ireland when she was dying to encourage her. And then in the remaining years of his life, Scriven devoted himself to just helping others in need. He gave away most of his clothing and his possessions and his money When one neighboring family lost their cow, which was a vital source of income, although Scriven had very little money, he he gave them 
the watch that his father had given him so that they could sell it and buy another cow. Late in life, Scriven traveled back home to Ireland to make a final visit with his family and friends. And yet, because he had once been well off, but now he was returning as a poor man in shabby clothes, many of his old friends snubbed and rejected him. But God's healing of the pain of their rejection became another part of his testimony. And it inspired him to, years later, write another stanza to his poem. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Well, during his final illness, a friend came across this three stanza poem, and he asked Scriven, did you write this? And his answer was quite amazing. He said, the Lord and I did it between us. That was his answer. By by this time, his life had been an inspiring witness to the intimate relationship that he had with his dear friend, Jesus, and his heavenly Father. And the words of his poem have been a, a blessing to the church ever since, reminding us of a deep, faithful friendship unlike any other. And so we're going to sing together this great hymn as we prepare to have communion together. And as we sing, I just want to encourage you to consider your own friendship with Jesus. He laid down his life for you. He's called you friend. How will you respond in return?